So as you probably heard last week, there was a whole lot of shaking going on. How many of you, or who of you, felt that earthquake clear up here? You did. You know, we are very grateful on that whole eastern seaboard that there was very little property damage and no loss of life. Pam and I have some friends who live in Virginia Beach. And following the earthquake, he posted uh, this on his Facebook. So wouldn't it be great that whenever your life gets shaken really badly that you could rebuild that quickly? We've been looking at life maps. We've been studying songs from the Psalms. Psalm 16 taught us how to prepare for success. Psalm 23 gave us a guide for the road. Last week, we looked at at Psalm 32, and it led us into how to recover from our failures by confession. And if you haven't been here for those studies, I encourage you to go to our website and download the podcasts because they're just so full of important truths that we can inculcate into our our very life and will change us. So be sure you do that this week if you haven't done so already. So what happens when you come to that spot where you actually confess that you have failed and and, and you begin the recovery process, how do you rebuild? How do you restore that which was lost? The generation that had conquered the promised land, that, that group of Jews that had gone in there and, and, and taken over, kept their, their faith in Jehovah God. They kept a really good relationship, and so did the succeeding generation. But it was the third generation that didn't do so well. They began to worship demonic influences. They began to worship idols. They began to rebel against God. And so in the years that would follow, God would allow seven nations to invade that promised land to bring discipline to those children of Israel and have them put their faith back in God. There was robbery and destruction and it was just a horrible mess, yet they still did not come back to that covenant relationship that God had established with them. And when they began to finally to defile the land, God said enough is enough, and so he had them ushered out by the Babylonian Empire to Babylon. And the prophet said, there you would stay for 70 years. And during those 70 years, we know that as time progressed, they began to confess their sins. They began to try to reorganize themselves back into expressions of worship, creating even synagogues so that they could have that, that time together. And as it came to the end of that that 70 years, the prophets began to pray to God, you said 70 years, you said 70 years, please restore that which was lost. How do we restore what we've lost? And then suddenly, unexpectedly, in the most dynamic, impressive way, the restoration began. And here's how it's described in the scriptures. Ezra Chapter 1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout the realm and to put it in writing. And this is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says The Lord, the God of heaven, 
has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. And any one of his people among you, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And the people of any place where survivors may now be living are to provide him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Now understand how incredible this is. This would be like you awakening tomorrow morning and hearing a news report that Glenn Beck has come before the nation and said, I will personally finance and personally direct the re-election campaign of President Obama. <laughs> Not going to happen. This pagan king, this king who had his focus on the god Ahura Mazda, the one they called Lord Wisdom, the creator of heaven and earth from their view, says, Jehovah God has appointed me. And you've got to understand that the depths of that word appointed actually mean to have a personal audience with and then told to do that which you're appointed to do. He said, I've had a personal audience with Jehovah God who has told me that all the kingdoms that I have, that he has given me. And therefore, he has told me that I must go make sure that a temple is built in Jerusalem and Judah. So all you folks that want to go home, go home. In fact, all the folks that are staying here are free to give you what you need, provisions to get you there. In addition, you may ask for free will offerings so that you may take that and go back and use it to build your temple. Just incredible. It, it would be like hearing that Billy Graham, and you could you understand this, that Billy Graham said, God has laid it on my heart to build a huge worship temple expression right in Erie, Pennsylvania, the center of the universe. And we are. You say, well, that just makes sense. He knows God. It, it, that, that's fine. But what would you feel like if suddenly the Dalai Lama said, I've had this, this experience with Jesus of Nazareth who told me to go build him at this, this wonderful temple in Erie, Pennsylvania. You'd go, that, that's just incredible. That is the shock that must have settled in on these folks when they realized that God said, I have a moment. And now is the moment. And I have begun, begun a movement. And you will see it with your own eyes. So I want to say to us this morning that in God's view of us, each of us has a moment. And God will begin the movement. And we must understand then that our restoration has a divine timeline. And it has a certainty Sarah was barren, but God had a timeline. Joseph was incarcerated, but God had a timeline. David was on the run, but God had a timeline. Israel was in captivity, but God had a timeline. The issue you face for you, think of what it is right now. God has a timeline. And for Israel, that moment and that movement is described this way out of Psalm 126. 
And that's where we're going to camp this morning. And here is what the psalmist says. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. When the Lord, there is the movement. There is the beginning of the timeline. When the Lord brought us back. And here is the moment. It was such an astonishing moment. He said, we were like people who thought they were in a dream. It was so amazing. So we question our delays. What is taking God so long? I want to tell you that he has a movement and a timeline. We, we weep and we say, oh God, this hurts so bad. Why don't you do something about it? Do you know that the scripture says that when they were brought into that kingdom of Babylon, that they would say to the Jews, sing your songs of Zion. We like your songs. And the scripture says they took their harps and hung them in the trees and said, we cannot sing our songs as long as we are in this land. Our hearts are broken. And some of you sit here today have taken your harps and you've put them up and said, I just can't sing anymore. I'm just so broken. God has a timeline. For Sarah, 25 years she waited But God had a timeline. Joseph had to go through abduction, false imprisonment, forgotten promises. But God had a timeline. David had to wait for years to receive what had been anointed already upon him, which was the throne. But God had a timeline. I appreciate the words that Pastor Okunude states when he says these words, until God stepped in, Zion was still in captivity. Hannah was still barren. Lazarus was still locked up in the bowels of death. But when the Lord Adonai, the ruler of the universe, enters in, mountains must skip like rams, everlasting doors must lift up their heads, Joseph must become a prime minister, and Hannah must embrace her children. You say, I've hung up my harp, and I say to you, take it back down. Because God has a moment for you. Janet didn't know what she was supposed to do. She waited for her moment, and she was in grieving because her husband was just so, so off kilter in her view. And so we get a call in our church in Oregon. And, and I happened to be the guy that was on for the day taking the phone calls, and so they gave me the phone call, and, and Janet said, you got to help me. I said, Janet, do I know you? She said, no, you don't know me, but I know who you guys are, and you've got to help me because I'm sitting here in my family room with my husband. He is drunk, and he has a rifle in his hands, and he's threatening to kill me and then kill himself. I said, do you know if it's loaded? She says, he has the shells in his pocket. I said, can you, can you let me talk to him? So we got... Bob on the phone and I said Bob what's going on and he began as much as he could in the stupor that he was in uh, describing his despondency he was just done I said Bob we need to talk he said well come on over here (laughs) I'm thinking he's drunk he's got a rifle Bob I can't come over there my wife won't let me (laughs) Bob here's the deal we need to talk. Can you come over and see me? Okay, I'll come over. I said, but, but you can't bring your rifle. I can't. I said, no, you can't bring it. Okay, I won't bring it. 
So he showed up with his wife. A couple of us pastors sat down with him in a, in a room and we began to talk with him and we began to pray. And the most amazing thing began to happen. Within minutes, he began to sober up. And as we prayed over him, and as we even spoke in tongues in the Holy Spirit over him, we figured he's drunk, he's going to think we're weird anyhow, so we just began to, began to pray that way. And, and, and suddenly the stupor left. We began to talk to him about Jesus. And as we talked to him about Jesus, it was like the light was dawning on him. He had never understood Jesus. And there was this revelation going on that he began to understand. I know this is unnatural. It's not the normal thing, but it was happening right there because God had a moment. He said, well, then, then, then I want this Jesus. So we walked him through profession of, 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 uh, confession of his sins and, and who Jesus is, and he went through all of that. And then we began to talk to him about, now you're going to have to have strength to face what's been bothering you and these, these issues and getting over your alcoholism and all of that. And we said, and you need the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, well, what is that? And so we told him, he said, well, I want that Holy Spirit. Now, this is all happening within about two to three hours in an afternoon. So we laid hands on him, and suddenly there was this power that just surged to him, and he began to speak in tongues, and he looked at us and said, what is that? And, and so we began to tell him, and I want to tell you that it radically, radically changed his life at that very moment. Because God has a timeline. He has a moment. Pick up your harp. You say, well, will I ever be joyful again? Listen to how Paul the Apostle tells us, as he wrote to the church at Corinth, how he tells us that God will keep his promises. For he says, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ. With a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Everything that God has promised you, and the timeline, and the moment, and the movement comes in Jesus. And we must say, yes, we believe that. Now, when you do that, you may not get the instant deliverance that this man got, but you will get a deliverance. And your deliverance may not be as instantaneous because your deliverance may be, yes, you're on your way, but now you've got to work through this. But when God is done, you will step back and say, this is like a dream. I never thought I'd get here. When that happens, we misunderstand that restoration is not an event but a continued joyful living. Scripture tells us then those captives took their harps and they took them off the trees and they brought them back with them. And the psalmist declares what happened, Psalm 126, verse 2. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. See, I've told you in the past about Tom and Pam, who just, they're a young married couple, and they loved each other, and life was okay, but they just said there's just something missing, something driving us. Nothing we do just takes that, 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 that thing, that, 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 that drive that's in us out. And they're watching some friends who just seem to be so settled and content, and they say, well, what, what are you doing different than us? And, and so they began to talk to them about their journey of faith and this connection with Jesus Christ. So eventually Tom and Pam said, well, tell us more about that. And Tom and Pam said, okay, we want that. And so they, they, they put their faith in Jesus, and it was like a huge weight was lifted off of them. 
They were so pumped. Just now finding Jesus that they went out to celebrate and they headed to the beach and got drunk. Jesus, we love you. And, and, and they just, they were soused. And, and you know, I don't know, God probably took it as worship. And they learned as time went on that there's probably more appropriate ways to express worship to God. What has happened to you? What has Jesus done for you that makes you celebrate? What has he done in the past that made you celebrate? And even others, as these nations did, would look at you and say, only God could do that. So this is the interactive time. You ready? We've got a couple of people with mics, and they're going to head around. Some of, one of you over here. Okay. Jason over here and Emily there. And would you just, just quickly, and I don't, we don't want a sermon from you, and we don't want a, 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 a dissertation, just a quick expression of what has Jesus done for you in the past that made you celebrate, and other people went, wow, that's got to be God. Just raise your hands. We want your answers. Ready? Go. Come on. Hurry. Get going. You guys are going to have to move fast. Right there, Jim. Yeah, he took me back. Twice. He took you back twice? And you celebrated? Dude, good. Right here. He gave me faith. He showed me um, that um, if I believed in, in him and his faith, he would give me all the money I needed for a woman who needed cataract surgery. In, in a yard sale. <laughs> God bless those yard sales. Yeah. He gave my daughter a heart. Yeah. And we did celebrate that. Right there. My husband and I were praying for two years to conceive a baby, and I'm two months pregnant. <laughs> Woo! That is great. Understand, it takes more than just God. Okay. And along those lines, uh, some of you have been praying for our daughter who just had our fourth grandchild, and <clears throat> we were told on Tuesday that she probably wouldn't live a week, uh, but she's coming home today. So thank you for your prayer. That's great. Now, as we're doing this, would you please stand so we can see who's talking? I hope that doesn't freak you out, but we just want to see that. Where are, where are we? Jason, back there. Okay. Two things. Um, I was addicted to tobacco, and after 20 years, he removed it overnight as if I'd never smoked. And the second thing, I needed a car, and I had no finances, and he gave me a car. Paid for. <laughs> That's great. Anybody else? Come on. Right, right down here, right there. You've got to move faster. Okay, I'll try to make this brief. Uh, three years ago, I fell down, broke my leg, got MRSA. I went through five surgeries. They almost amputated twice. Uh, they had to remove 13 centimeters of bone that died, and praise God, I'm growing new bones. So it's, it's a miracle right there. That's so great. thank you, Jesus. I was so concerned about my son, and God laid on my heart to pray for him. I just knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what it was. Afterwards, I found out that he was going to take a bottle, go to a hotel room, and end it all. He was so depressed over turning 40. God has delivered him from a dope and from his alcoholism. Only God could do that, and I thank and praise him. That's great. Many, many blessings. That's great. We'll take two more. God has healed me from my cancer. Great. One more. Right there. Um, God reunited 
Oh, my husband and I with a grandson we haven't seen in seven years. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I know we could go on and on, but here's, here's the issue. They said, we became so aware what God has done. And in the wording in the verse we just read actually means that all we had to do was open up our mouths and laughter just flew out. We were so stoked and pumped with what God had said. Stoked and pumped are the original Hebrew. Just want you to know that. And it said, it said that the, the, the mood was so jubilant that it was like our joy took hold of our tongues and began to just shout, shout, shout praise. I want to tell you that where Jesus resides, his church, it should never be boring. It should never be discouraging because there are these stories of what God has done. And his expectation is this, that our story should be alive and gaining momentum. It's not that just he did that, but that we continue to worship and praise him and think about what he's done. And in that expression of thankfulness and awareness of what he does, it continues to gain momentum. What he has done is not just the ending, it is just the beginning, and it catapults us into something greater. And that is why they said this, Psalm 126.4, Now restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Just, just south of Hebron, around the area of Beersheba, there are these dry stream beds, usually always dry, but sometimes the rains will come through and up to an inch will hit those. And when they do, what you will discover is that the flood that it creates will actually wipe out roads and bridges. It's just an amazing thing. And this is the picture they have in mind. When they said, okay, here's the deal. You have done this for us, but we're not stopping here. We're not just saying that was the good old day. But what you did back there, we now believe you can continue to do now. So let your blessings come to us and restore our fortunes and let it flow through us like a riverbed that is flooding. So it's time for us to be bold. It's time for us to ask for the restoring of our fortunes, the things you thought you lost when you turned your back on God or when you offended others and when you made that ridiculous decision and you say, I've lost it all, you can stand before God and say, restore my fortunes. That wording means to bring well-being into the land I live in, my world, restore that. See, when the Jews returned, yeah, they were excited about coming back, but when they got there, everything was in, in disrepair and disarray, and the ground had not, the ground had not been, been used for farming and for vegetation and for fruit for 70 years. They said, you've got you to do something here because there's nothing here. Restore our fortunes. So you come back to God and you say, God, but this is so tough. I'm back to you, but, but I made such a mess of things. Well, yeah, because the land has lain fallow for so long. You haven't taken care of your life, and it's just this hard soil, and there's nothing there. But you can say, oh, Lord, restore my fortunes. Bring this back. I'm a firm believer that God wants to do a whole lot more for us than we ever dare ask. So... James was incarcerated. He was in prison for robbery and pistol whipping a guy. Now, while he's in prison, 
some of the other some of the other convicts there, some of the other guys who know Jesus start sharing about Jesus, and it just changes this guy's life. And so he confesses his sin and asks forgiveness and says, Jesus, just show me. And so so now he's 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 it's been reversed. He's good. He's found Jesus, but he said, I have just messed up my life. And he does not, doesn't know this verse, but he just says, give me back some stuff that I've lost. I, I have no family. I have no home. I have no job. I have nothing. I'm in prison, and I'm here for a long time. And somebody on the outside knows the guy's story and starts working with the Justice Department, and the guy gets released early but he's got no place to go. Well, the guy that's working to get him released early also then says, you know what I've been thinking? Why don't you come home and live with me and my family, my young family? We'll make you part of our family. He said, I can't believe this. And he goes out and he finds him a job. And did I mention the guy that helped him was the guy that he pistol whipped? A guy who knew Jesus and said, Jesus has a plan for this guy. So what I want to tell you is that you don't know where it's going to come from and you have no idea how it will happen, but I'm telling you that if you feel like you've lost something and you return back to Jesus, you can pray this prayer, restore my fortunes. And so I want to pause right here and just ask you who feel like for whatever decisions you've made in the past or whatever decisions were made for you in the past and life has just gone on a tailspin and you feel like you've lost so much Today, you'd like to say to Jesus, like that river flow that just just goes out of the banks and just floods, blessings from God, well-being in the land, I want you to restore my fortunes. I want to pray that for you this morning. So right where you are, if that's you, stand up, because we're going to pray for you. Stand up. There you go. That's it. All right. Now, I want you to believe as I pray that you will receive. You may even want to take a posture of, re- of receiving, which is just the raising of the hands, like you're saying to the Father, here, just pour it in, pour it in. So now, Father, in the name of Jesus, like the waters of the Negev when it floods, pour out your blessings on these who stand before you today, and they say, Oh Lord, restore my fortunes. We ask that you will pour it into their lives in such a degree that the world around them will look at it and go, man, that has just got to be God. Look at what God has done. I ask that you build their faith, that they will not doubt, they will believe that you are a God of abundance, and you will pour into them the blessing that they have not yet received, and even that which they have lost will come back to them, not only restitution, but restoration, both of those, in the name of Jesus. Pour into them and let us hear the stories this week of your greatness. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, restoration is not just gaining, but it's also surrendering. When God restores it, it takes time for us to work with him. And this is where sometimes we bail, but you've got to stay right here. So here's what the psalmist describes, Psalm 126, verse 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. Listen, when Ezra led the captives back, that first wave back into Jerusalem, they began to rebuild the temple. But this is what happened. 
Ezra 3.12 says, But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. What you got is that you have those folks who had seen the original temple. They had seen the glory of God come into that temple. And now they see what they're building, and it's nothing like the glory of the former days. And they wept. And in essence, they said, Oh, it'll never be like the good old days. We just will never have that. And others were saying, no, 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 this is God. This is Jehovah God. Look what he's done. It's going to be better. God can do this better. It will be incredible for us. Unfortunately, the negative won out. That it's not as good as the good old days won out. And they quit building the temple, leaving it just in its foundation. And it wasn't the good old days. If you go back and look at what Ezekiel the prophet said about the temple as God spoke to him, God basically said, this wasn't so good. It's not as good as you thought it was. In fact, I detested it. It was so bad. For 18 years, they did nothing. Until God sent a prophet named Haggai. And he pulled the people together and he said this, I have a word for you from God. And it's this. Look at your houses. You've you've constructed wonderful houses. You have wonderful living. Everything is fine for you. And look at God's house. Why haven't you loved God? Why haven't you taken care of his house? And he said, well, because we're in a recession He said, I'll tell you why you have a recession. Every time you tried to have a harvest in these 18 years, when you brought the harvest in, God would blow it away because you did not put him first. You put yourself first. No wonder you're in a recession. You haven't put him first. It so convicted them that for three months, they took whatever they had left and they began to pour it into the temple as they began to build the temple and say, God, we want to honor you. Three months later, Haggai shows back up again and he says to them, Now, from this day forward, give careful thought. Is there any harvest since you stopped building the temple? They said, no, there hasn't been. 18 years ago, there's been no harvest. He said, from this day, I will bless you. Now, understand, 18 years, they've tried to have a harvest, and every year it's ruined. And now God says, go ahead. Now, they've been getting grain from someplace, and that grain is just enough to feed the family. And now they're expected by God to take that grain and begin to plant their crops. But understand that for 18 years, the history has been you get nothing back. So when they go out this time to spread their grain, they know that if it does not produce a harvest, they have just given away the food that their children are going to eat, and they will starve. And they begin to weep. What have you delayed in giving God? It's been tough. I just, I don't know. Have have you not sown in the forgiveness into people's lives you should have given? Oh, but you don't know how badly I've been hurt. But have you forgiven? Have you sown it in? Have you sown in the time that God asked you to? But I'm so busy. But have you sown in the time? Have you sown in the resources? Have you sown in your tithe? But oh, I will when I'm, no, 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 no. The tithe is his. Have you sown it? Have you given it in? Have you given the love? Have you given the ministry? Have you given what God asked you to give? Have you sown it in? But you don't know. In the past, it's just not worked out. But have you sown it? You see, deliverance is a whole lot easier. What they experienced when he said, hey, leave, is so much easier than plant the crops. Because when God delivers, it's God. It's miraculous. It's spontaneous. And he just does it. 
And that's why we run from miracle service to miracle service and say, hey, just change me so I don't have to work on it. But see, harvest takes time. It's natural. It's not just God. It's God and me. And it's really risky. But he says, what are you planting? Come on, it's time for you to sow. That which we refuse to sow by fear or selfishness will keep us from reaching our total restoration. And our total joy depends on our total surrender. Here, I'm giving you all of it. If he delivered you, won't he totally restore you? Don't listen to you that tell you the best was back then. That is the spirit of Erie right now. The best was back there. And so we hold on to the little bit we have, and we have political infighting and and people going against each other and holding on to their possessions because it's all we got left. And yet the glory of God wants to come into this city and change it so that we give out freely because what we sow, we will harvest. The best is yet to come. You see, when, when Haggai was talking to them, they said, well, here, here's the deal, that, that God says that the glory of the second temple will be greater than the first temple. And you say, well, that's a great promise, but I've looked through history, and that's, that first temple had the glory, the Shekinah glory of God coming down on that temple, Solomon's temple, and he couldn't even get in there. That didn't happen in the second temple. Oh, don't miss it, because God does not lie. He says, what you sow, you'll reap. If you'll trust me, you'll come back singing, holding the harvest. I love the description given by Dr. George Wood, who describes where that glory came, when it came. He says, never before had God come in the flesh and walked on the grounds of Moriah's hill where Abraham almost offered Isaac. The hill bought by David where Solomon built the temple. Great men and women and priests and prophets came and went, but only once did the Son of God himself come down. And on those temple grounds, he taught and he healed. The words of Psalm 24, 7 through 10, came to pass with Jesus' entry into the temple. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? That's the Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. That was his glory. And so I say to you this morning, that king of glory is in this place right now. His glory is here. It's in this city, in his people. He, at this moment, wants to enter into your life. He, at this moment, wants you to trust him. He, in this moment, wants you to trust him that you would sow that which he's told you to put into the world, into the people around you, to put in your tithe, to put in your your love, to put in your forgiveness, to put in your time and attention, to put into that. Because this king of glory says you will come out singing with the harvest. This king of glory is restoring you. And so my question is, are you ready for the restoration? So will you stand? And I have three steps I want you to follow today. In fact, we'll just do it now.
The first step is this. I want you to say to God, here's what you did and I thank you for it. Just as they did, they said, look what you did and and we can't believe it's like a dream. So right now, just where you are, would you say, God, here's what you've done for me in my life and I thank you and I celebrate it. Would you just say it to him right now? Just whatever it is, right in your own spirit, right in your own heart, just say, thank you for that. Thank you, Lord. Here's what you did for me, and it's not stopping. Here's what you did in forgiveness of my sins, the healing of my body. I thank you for that. I celebrate that. I am joyful. The words just fly out of my mouth in praise to you because you have done the incredible thing. Second step. Lord, if you can do that, then I ask you now to sweep in me like a river and restore anything that you, that I have lost and then give to me anything new that you want because I'm believing that you're just going to pour into me this week. I'm going to be ready for that. I am open to you giving to me. Say, but I don't deserve it. Exactly. But if your sins have been forgiven, you have the right to receive. Now open up your heart and let it pour into you. Even now, I'm just going to encourage you to raise your hands as an expression of reception. And you say, okay, Lord, we receive now. Pour into us. Pour into us like a river overflowing its banks. That which we thought we had lost and that which you still want to give to us that we've just not received. We open ourselves to you, including the fullness of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. And then finally, would you just say, Lord, this week I know you've been telling me that I need to sow this into the world around me. My finances or my time or my forgiveness or my attention. There's something God's been asking you to do and you keep putting it off because you're just not sure you're going to get back what you need from it. He said, just trust me. So right now where you are, just say, Lord, to this week I'm going to sow this, going to sow this in to where you wanted it to go. And so now lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. And who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift them up, you ancient doors, for that King of glory, that the King of glory may come in. And who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty, he is the King of glory. And now to the King eternal immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.